Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. As we get into this weekend, the three-day weekend, quite a few things to get into. The Falcons say they have an offer for a first-round pick. I thought that was very doubtful, along with a lot of other people. I thought the highest they get would be a second, but if the first is on the table, who is most likely to get that? Missing football, college football, break down some of the games, and then we'll also fully highlight, dive into the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs as well, and I'm going to give you my top five teams in baseball right now. And then a final get your goat take. So starting off with Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons, who have said they have an offer of a first-round pick for Jones, which they'll probably accept, and they'll probably do it in a few days after June 1st, where it's less uh, money for them. But who is likely to do it? What is this team that is going to be offering a first-round pick. Well, if an offer's on the table for a first-round pick, I think that the uh, San Francisco 49ers are out of the running. I think that eliminates them, a team that could have been on the list. And to me, that eliminates the Titans as well. I don't see them uh, doing a first-round pick for that team. I really do not see that. And then, as long with... Uh, the Patriots as well, that's another team. And for a wide receiver who they typically don't draft uh, wide receivers in the first round, I don't see them trading a first round draft pick for him either. So I really do think this is going to be a surprise team that pulls this trade off. Uh, and I believe Julio Jones can definitely help a contender uh, with some of his injury issues. But when you look at the AFC East and you go down there, you have Buffalo, Miami, New England, and the Jets. And I don't think any of those teams are going to trade. I thought New England was a high likely one. And they expressed interest. But I think a first-round pick is off for them. Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Baltimore could be, they could be a dark horse uh, throwing a first-round pick in there. Tennessee, Indianapolis, Houston, and Jacksonville. Jacksonville with a lot of trade assets coming up in the future. I believe they'll keep him. Uh, Houston, definitely not. Indianapolis could be a dark horse. I don't think Tennessee is in the running. And you have Kansas, Las Vegas, Chargers, and the Broncos. None of those teams, I believe, will make an offer. Kansas City is traded their first-round picks. Uh, Any team on the NFC, the football team, the Giants, the Cowboys, the Eagles, I really don't see a trade getting done, especially if he wants to go to a winner. That's not a winner's division. And that leaves the NFC North, Green Bay, Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit. It could be Green Bay, uh, but what they've typically done in the past, not drafting a wide receiver in the first round uh, or being very uh, making big blockbuster trades, I don't see them trading a first-round pick for Julio Jones as well. And I don't think they're going to trade inside their own division. But other than the San Francisco Cardinals in the NFC West, I could see the Air or the San Francisco 49ers, my mid bet. I could see the Arizona Cardinals 
um, making a move as well as another dark horse. So I think it will be a dark horse team. I think it will be either the Arizona Cardinals or the Baltimore Ravens. Those are my two dark horse teams to look at. One in the AFC and then the other one in the AFC. Baltimore could use them. They could go from having one of the worst wide receiver corps in the league the past couple of years to this year, suddenly one of the best, where if you have Julio Jones, Marquise uh, Brown, Sammy Watkins, I mean, that's a lot of talent and depth there. If the wide receiver position, and you also have Mark Andrews as tight end, it's then you really uh, have isolated every factor uh, for um, Lamar Jackson. And then when it comes to the Cardinals, you really have a 1A wide receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, and you have a 1B wide receiver in Julio Jones. Uh, and this offense will be very deadly uh, with Kyler Murray at the helm, scrambling, improvising. Uh, who knows exactly what the return is? They might not be. They might not give up Christian Kirk, re-sign Larry Fitzgerald. You have Isabella, uh, who's very speedy as well. So this wide receiver depth would be insane for a team like Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals, who like to throw the football in that kind of air raid offense and not really lean on the running backs that much. Now shifting from the NFL to college football. The college football primetime matchups for the first three weeks were revealed the other day. So we will go ahead and take a look at that and see if that is the best primetime matchup for that day. So on week one, you have quite a few good matchups in college football. Friday night, you have or Thursday night, you have Ohio State in Minnesota. That is a good Thursday night game for college football to get excited. A big one because they're in the same conference. Uh, two good teams, well-coached teams. Of course, Ohio State will be the favorite going into that game. But Minnesota's played very tough the past couple years uh, on an upward trajectory, and they look like they're going to stay there. So this will be a good test for Minnesota and Ohio State. I know Justin Fields uh, at quarterback. They always have a great class quarterback coming in. How will this look? But this being in Minnesota, a true tough road away game to open up a season. This thing could go either way in a big direction. But the main primetime game for week one is Georgia and Clemson. The Bulldogs and the Clemson Tigers, two of the best teams consistently in the nation week one. This will shape the playoffs already in week one. Clemson has been the cream of the crop in the ACC in the second best team in college football running uh, for around five years now. In Georgia, 
who's been on the teetering of the top five, have made a couple playoff appearances, or made a, one playoff appearance, couldn't seal a deal against Alabama, but this would go a long way in either side. But with the way Georgia's season faces and the more tough teams that they play, uh, playing the Auburns of the Worlds and other ones in their division, the SEC is much tougher than the ACC, especially since Notre Dame is not returning and will not be on the slate uh, for Clemson. I think this one would go much more uh, for Georgia if they were to lose in retrospect uh, than, than Georgia losing this game and then losing another one. But this is a big statement game. Week one, no more Trevor Lawrence for Clemson. We're going to see the new guy in there who had a great game against Notre Dame uh, last year who filled in. So we'll see that. No Travis Etienne as well, a reshaped defense. A lot of missing pieces. Same with Georgia. So this will be a heavyweight battle to start the season. Then... That same day, you have another game. I don't think it will be as big, even though we are advertising it, is Alabama in Miami. Yes, Alabama does play maybe an ACC team here or there. I don't like it because I know Alabama's going to beat the crap out of Miami. That's just how that game is going to go. It's going to be advertised, Miami, and turnover chain, and Show them their highlight reels of their defense and one or two good plays they made on offense. But they can't compete with Nick Saban in Alabama. Even with no Mac Jones and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, the recruiting class at Alabama, comes in and a dual-threat quarterback that they have coming in, this could be a long day and probably will be a long day uh, for Miami as Alabama starts on the road uh, to defend their title. In week one. Then week two, the main primetime game and big game on is the Washington Huskies versus the Michigan Wolverines. Yes, my Michigan Wolverines led by Jim Harbaugh. And to me, which could be his last season. And to me, this is a very pressing week two matchup early in the season is they'll have a nice tune-up in Week 1. But Week 2 is where it is at, where Washington has been a historically good team the past few years, other than a couple outliers, but they've been very good in the Pac-12 North division. So we'll see how they come out this year against Michigan. It's at home for the Wolverines, so that definitely is an advantage. But... No, Joe Milton, who was a starter for game one last year, he's gone. Cade McNamara looks like the starter, but J.J. McCarthy, a big recruit. How will this defense look and retool after they didn't look so good uh, last year at all? This will be a good matchup for both teams, you know, with Rose Bowl playoff aspirations. This one will go a long way in deciding how each team looks for the next 10 weeks of the season. And then week three, the primetime matchup, another good one, is Auburn versus Penn State. Auburn, new head coach with Gus Malzahn gone, always have been 
you know, a good team, never a top-tier team except for uh, one or two years, one of those including Cam Newton. Penn State, historically bad uh, last year where they started off 0-6 and then came back and won a lot of their games after that, but they did not start off great uh, last year. It's going to be up to James Franklin to coach his team and figure out uh, what was wrong. But week three, feeling each other out, this will be a big game for both schools. Auburn will probably enter in 2-0 and as they have two cupcakes before this game. But Penn State does open against, against Wisconsin, so they'll already be battle-tested when they face Auburn. This is a home game for Penn State. Uh, could be a raucous crowd there. A hundred thousand people back in the stands cheering on the Nittany Lions. Uh, what a great atmosphere those games always uh, tend to be. And again, playoff aspirations on the line so early uh, for these teams. But is that the biggest game? One could make an argument that another game that day is bigger. And that is a Florida and Alabama that same day. That'll be a big game for both teams, a rematch of the SEC championship game uh, last year. Florida losing by six points, but we're down by so much to start the game. Which one of these offense, how will the quarterback look now with Kyle Trask on? Florida, Kyle Pitts is gone as well, but both great offenses should still be there, mostly intact. Week three, we'll get to see if Florida is for real in the SEC, you know, or if they're still a second fiddle, at least Alabama, and we'll see to Georgia later in the season. But there's a lot of good primetime games. Uh, for college football to start the season off, which is exciting, is exactly what college football needs. Exciting, great matchups to start the season. Now moving on to the NBA. Where we got news today of Dante DiVincenzo. For the Milwaukee Bucks, no longer be playing the rest of the year as he has torn a ligament in his ankle, which will require surgery and that will require him uh, to miss the rest of the NBA playoffs. This, to me, is a huge loss for the Milwaukee Bucks, as I thought the way they've played so far in three games, is definitely worthy of competing with the Brooklyn Nets, which will probably be, or which will be, in the next round, in round two. And Dante DiVincenzo is a guy that definitely helps out. Uh, He's a starter uh, for this team. Plays alongside the Geek Freak, who's been great. Chris Middleton as well, Drew Holiday. Uh, And Dante DiVincenzo is a great uh, three-point shooter. Averaging around uh, 10 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. Uh, He's been really good. Streaky as well, especially when he gets hot. 
uh, from the three-point area. That's something the opposing team does not want to see. So this definitely is a big blow to the Milwaukee Bucks team. They're really going to get tested. It'll be good to see how they adjust without him. And there could be final game against the Heat as they're up a 3-0. But we'll see how they look against the Heat in that fourth game. Uh, And that matchup against the Nets takes a hit. What else in the playoffs? Well, Wednesday night, I was 3-for-3 on my picks. I got every single one right. First off, I picked the Philadelphia 76ers to crush the Washington Wizards. And I was right. The Sixers beat the uh, Wizards 120-95. to Ben Simmons... Had a huge game. Outdueled Bradley Beal. Uh, this whole team out, outdueled and outplayed uh, them. Bradley Beal with 33 points. Uh, but he was only 1 for 6 from 3 point land. Whereas you had Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Both with 22 points. Tobias Harris with 19 This team looking really balanced, but Westbrook uh, lost to injury in the game. And then a fan dumping popcorn on him, which I will get to in a few minutes. Uh, But even with Westbrook in or out, this was not going to matter, as the Philadelphia 76ers were head and shoulders above the Wizards. uh, Joel Embiid has been too good this season in this series. Uh, No answer for Ben Simmons either. Simmons playing great on both ends, offensively and defensively. Uh, Put the works on Russell Westbrook before he left the game with injury, uh, making him look foolish. Uh, Just the athleticism, the length, the size of Ben Simmons is a nightmare for most opposing players, even though he does not have a jump shot. And to me, the biggest step that jumps out why the 76ers dominated so badly is that the Washington Wizards only shot 9% from three-point land. They were 2 of 22, two made threes in the whole game and shot 9%. That ain't going to cut it. That is not good. Well below league average. That is a terrible mark. That is not going to win you games in the NBA playoffs. A shooting from three at 9%. Missing 23 pointers. And also shooting 63% from the free throw line. 19 of 30. That's 11 points lost on there. That is at least 120 to 106 if you're perfect. That is then 14 points. You know, you hit three or five more threes. Three to five more threes. You're much closer in this game if you're around the league averages. Uh, So the 76ers, or the Washington Wizards, have no one to blame but themselves for their foul play. 
Then after that, it was the Knicks defeating the Hawks. In another prediction, I was right on the Knicks rebounding in the second half with a huge uh, third quarter where they outscored the Hawks 32-18. to Derrick Rose playing the most playoff minutes he has, I believe, since six years ago when he was on the Bulls. 26 points, perfect from a free throw line. Julius Randle leading the charge on offense behind him uh, with rebounds in assists. Uh, but Derrick Rose uh, was the highlight of this game. Without Derrick Rose, they wouldn't have won this game at all. He hit big shots, came through when it counted uh, for the Knicks, and was a great win. Again, Trey Young played great, phenomenal as well, even though he was spit on on there. But again, that's another thing I will get to in a few minutes. But the Wizards, usually a better shooting team, only shot 36%, 37% from field, 27% from three. Again, that's not going to cut it. They were heavily out-rebounded by the Knicks team, who is much bigger and kind of bullies them. A great defensive team led by Thibs. And really, this was a huge game for Atlanta because if they were to have taken a 2-0 lead going into Game 3 back in Atlanta, uh, I think you could have called this series over. But you can't now. You gave the Knicks hope for tonight, in which will be another marquee matchup. And then the final given night, another one I was right on, the Utah Jazz beating the Memphis Grizzlies. Donovan Mitchell was back after an injury and led his team to a win behind 25 points, but again, a well-balanced effort from his whole team. He had 25 points, but Rudy Gobert leading the way uh, with 13 rebounds. And uh, Mike Conley with 15 assists. And those players also had 21 and 20. So three players with more than 20 points. That's how you get it done. But the Grizzlies just could not defend. They had a game plan that the Jazz executed perfectly, almost 50% from three, 49%, 54% from the field. And 54% from the field was also the Grizzlies numbers. They weren't as good from three. They were 34%. But I think if you score 129 points, you should be able to win an NBA game. You should not be able to get scored on 141 points on you. Ja Morant. With a great game, 47 points, although he was 2 for 7 uh, from 3. He was really good, prolific. I mean, this guy looks like a real deal, looks like a superstar for sure. Dylan Brooks as well, coming into his own way with 23 points as well, Valanchunas. Uh, Jackson, this team uh, looked really, really good. 
It's just unfortunate. Ave cannot get the job done, much to Rudy Gobert uh, dominating on the boards, getting that edge over Valanciunas in this game. But it does make for an exciting Game 3. In Memphis, led by John Morant, to see what will go down. Then last night, the Bucks, as I've said, they took a commanding 3-0 lead on the Heat Cruise to a win, 113-84. to Not close at all. Jimmy Butler not looking good, but you can't just blame him because this whole team is not looking good. Ariza with zero points. Duncan Robinson, who was terrific in the bubble last season, has not been terrific in these playoffs. Only two points, the three-point specialist that he can be uh, and put daggers on the opposing team has not been the case as he had two points. And same with Tyler Hero as well. Another superstar in the making in the bubble has fell flat this playoffs with nine points on the bench. Uh, So really, this whole team is looking discombobulated, not good at all. Then the Lakers took the Suns, took a 2-1 series lead as well in this game. It was a good start from the Suns. Then a very defensive performance took place in the second quarter by the Lakers. And the Lakers never looked back after that. Anthony Davis, again, was aggressive from a start with a double-double. LeBron was locked in as well. Uh, and it was too much for his team, uh, hampered by the Chris Paul injury, to overcome. Dennis Schroeder has also looked phenomenal in this series. So really, really great job by the Lakers. Some of it could be acquainted to, I think, Jay Crowder, who was liking posts and tweets, tweeting about the false ring that the Lakers won last year. Uh... And the asterisk and all that not being real, not deserving of the ring. Well, I don't think that sat well with the Lakers at all. Sat well with LeBron and AD. Maybe you want to say it was an asterisk on the bubble last season. But no matter what, a ring is a ring. No matter what, there was other teams that were going in there to compete. It wasn't just the Lakers who showed up, even though we did win the chip. So really, Jay Crowder sparked something. And Jay Crowder was guarding LeBron most of the night. And LeBron made Jay Crowder look like a fool. That's what he did. He locked it on defensively on Crowder. Offensively, posting him up. Shooting jumpers over him. And Jay Crowder did not look good. AD dominated the interior as well. In what was a great win 
for the Lakers is when they are locked in defensively, that just flows with their offense and to their offense, and then they just play beautiful basketball handled by LeBron in AD. And later in the game, things got out of hand with ejections uh, to both Devin Booker and Jay Crowder. Uh, Late stupid push on Booker on Dennis Schroeder, which caused him to get a flagrant to and ejected. Then Jay Crowder getting teed up yet again in the game uh, for jawing with Dennis Schroeder near the end of that. So they have to keep their composure. But again, as I've said, with that Chris Paul injury in the first game, this series is over. They were lucky to hold on and win the first game. They're not winning another one. This series will be done in five Tuesday night in Phoenix. And the Nuggets and the Trailblazers was a phenomenal game. The Nuggets taking a 2-1 series lead on Portland, just hanging on uh, Austin Rivers with the dagger yesterday. 21 points, 50% from the field, 50% from three. He was feeling it in a way I never thought imaginable, at least from that player. That definitely helped Jokic out, helped this team win down the stretch, even though Damian Lillard had 37 points, and Nurkic asserted himself as best as he could uh, down low and on Jokic. But it wasn't meant to be. Even when Nuggets almost had it wrapped up, Trailblazers were still fighting, trying hard, making threes and fouling, uh, but it just wasn't their night. The dub was not there for the Trailblazers taking. But tonight, I will be making three more picks. First, the Knicks and the Hawks. I'm 1-0 with this pick so far, so I'm rolling with it again. I am picking the Knicks to win this game, in which will be a tightly contested matchup in Atlanta. Those fans will be out. Trey Young will show up. But Julius Randle has to show up sometime in this series, and I think it will be tonight. I don't think Derrick Rose will be replicating his success from last game tonight. I think Julius Randle helps, gives them the edge that he's been missing with the past two games and gets it done now. Then the Nets and the Celtics. And I'm picking... The Nets to win this game. Jason Tatum, not a hundred percent, but uh, anytime Kyrie returns anywhere, going back to Boston, uh, he's not warmly welcomed there. Uh, as he said, he would be a Celtic for life, wants to play the rest of his career there, uh, and next thing you know. Uh, He decides to leave in free agency uh, to a division rival in the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are going to win this game. Firepower too much with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Uh, They are playing a little bit better defensively as well, but when you're locked in that much on offense and you're that uh, good offensively, uh, you know, it forces the other team to kind of go out of their own way Uh, and it makes the Nets' defense maybe look better than what it actually 
is, but I think they'll definitely get the win tonight. And then the last game is the Clippers and the Mavericks. This is a tough one for me. I picked the Clippers to win the series. I have now flipped that, and I do believe the Mavericks will win the series because they are up 2-0. And historically, uh, the teams that are up 2-0 win the series. I just don't think the Mavericks will win tonight. I think the Clippers are going to do one last desperation attempt, get a win tonight uh, before the Mavericks come back and win Game 4 and take a 3-1 series lead. Uh, And then they'll close it out either in Game 6 or Game 7. But Luka has played great. I wouldn't be surprised if the Mavericks won this game at all because Kawhi Leonard is apparently not the guy for his team. Paul George isn't. And then the depth pieces as well. Rajon Rondo, Marcus Marcus Morris, uh, and crew are just not enough to get it done. Whereas Luka is the man. We know he's the man. And he is dominating the Clippers. And I think he is taking it very personal about what happened in the bubble last year and how they kind of bullied him. And he is back for vengeance this time. And he will get it. Even though I have the Clippers winning this game. But won't be surprised if the Clippers fold again. And the Mavericks uh, win tonight. And then start breaking out the broomsticks. Now time to sadly talk about the NHL. My Pittsburgh Penguins lost... Losers, lost game six, picked against the Islanders, which of course I can't pick against my Pittsburgh Penguins, but that was rough sledding on Wednesday night. Tristan Jari, you have got to go. I'm sorry, you may be a good regular season goalie, but you are not a good or average playoff goalie that was a terrible performance uh, by you but to highlight all this the penguins take a 1-0 lead right away then answered right back by the islanders 1-1 then the penguins score again on the power play not to be outdone a minute later the islanders score so it's 2-2 going into the first intermission so right away Two early leads for the Penguins, up 1-0, then up 2-1. And both of those shut down as Tristan Jari uh, lets in stoppable goals uh, as well. He's just out of position, out of the net, too far out of the net. It doesn't look uh, good at all. And you make a couple of those key saves, the goal doesn't go in. You have all the momentum because then the Pittsburgh can open up and flow their game. But they aren't able to get set and play their game when you let in a goal a minute later. Then getting into the second period, the Penguins score uh, right away, make it 3-2, to two, and I think this could be it. They're kind of settling in uh, to their game. This is looking good. And then all of a sudden, the Islanders pop off on Tristan Jari for three goals in three minutes. Two of those, co- two of those goals coming within 13 seconds of each other. Goal, 3-3, 13 seconds later, 4-3. Oh, 
two minutes later, 5-3. And that was all she wrote. Uh, you know, my team tried in the third period to do it. Crosby off a post open up a power play. But once I saw that he didn't make that, I said this game is over. They dominated the third period in terms of shots. But it was too late after the third goal by Zucker where they were up 3-2. That's when they should have employed that strategy of just shooting everything at the net like this was the final game that needed to be played in their elimination, not in the third period when they were down 5-3. to three. Coach Mike Sullivan took a timeout after that fifth goal by Brock Nelson, which was a very weak goal in between the five-hole cheesy goal that should have been stopped by Tristan Jari, but he could not make the save, nonetheless make any saves, that game in any of the series, so I don't think he should be the starter anymore for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He had a minus eight goals against average, which is terrible. Obviously, if you're negative eight, the average is around zero, so it was terrible. The goals expected for uh, he didn't make key saves at all, and it, they said with the goals expected for the save percentage, everything well in the low 800s. Goals against average, that was the worst playoff performance by a goalie uh, since 2014, Yulia Burzgalov, and it definitely was. Now my team who won the East convincingly ended good, ended with Jari playing good, now have to think what the heck just happened is we played so well going into this series up 2-1, to one, but you can say Jari lost them three games, game one, Played terrible. Uh, game four or game five, he handed the Islanders a win, literally on a silver platter from his stick. And then game six, more bad mistakes. So really, some things to fix, especially defensively and some tweaks offensively. But those tweaks are outweighed uh, by the poor goaltending performance by Jari. That was not clicking. Lightning won in six games, beat the Islanders, or beat the Panthers. Uh, They move on to the next series. Really unfortunate again for the Panthers, who had to face the Lightning $17 million over the cap with Kucherov and Stamkos coming back. Again, I'm one of those guys who will be thinking about that for a long time and how terrible that is for the NHL. The Wild forced a Game 7. Shutting out the Knights, Cam Talbot uh, shutting out the Knights with 23 saves. Uh, all goals coming in the third period for the Minnesota Wild, in which will be a make-or-break game tonight. Then the Maple Leafs had a chance to wrap up their game in series, but they didn't, lost in overtime. Uh, so again, the drought continues. And the Carolina Hurricanes won in overtime, their fourth straight overtime game. They've prevailed this time and have now clinched their series and will now match up with the Tampa Bay Lightning in the second round, which will be a very good and entertaining series. Now, to make my pick uh, for tonight's game, is the Minnesota Wild 
and the Vegas Golden Knights. Before this series started, when I made my series predictions, I picked the Wild to win this series. And I have to stay with it just to say if I'm right or not. I am picking the Wild to win this game, so my series prediction would be correct. Even though I am rooting for the Knights, tonight I will have my Marc-Andre Fleury jersey out. Rooting hard for the Knights, but I just don't believe they will get it done. But this is just classic Knights where you have a 3-1 series lead, and you blow it. I mean, you dominate, you look really good, you give them life in Game 5 by not wrapping it up at home. Then Game 6, you look really flat, and then now it's Game 7, which will not bode well. So in their three losses, two of them, they have been shut out and not scored a goal, and the other one, they have two goals. Uh, So two goals in three losses that is the opposite of what you want. But when they win, they have scored more than three goals each time. They've scored three, four, and five. So to me, to win this game, just from what I've just said, they need to score three goals tonight to win this game. If they don't score three, I think they will lose this game. I think Marc-Andre Fleury will bring it. I think they can win on 50-50 on this game. But I have to go with the Wild because of the recent trends that uh, Vegas has done looking like the same old Vegas Golden Knights team. But round two already starts. The Islanders and Bruins are tomorrow night. And then the Avalanche will play the winner of the Wild and the Golden Knights on Sunday. So round two is almost underway. Now, to get into some baseball, I will give you my top five teams in the Major League Baseball. Number five, the San Francisco Giants. Why? Well, as I've highlighted throughout how good they've been this season, it has started with their pitching, and it's continued that way. Uh, Great pitching. And then also, their stars who have Ben Aging, you know, the Buster Posey and the Brandon Peltz and such who are, you know, 33, 34, 35 years old, uh, who should be on the decline. Somehow they are on an incline, playing really great, playing like they've done in their prime when they were won World Series titles of the three and five years. That is what's propelling this team to be great. Number four, the Chicago White Sox. Yes, their offenses look so good, uh, hitting runs, playing really well, but when they struggle, they really struggle, and that was highlighted when they got swept by the New York Yankees, uh, when their outfielding was just so-so. Their bullpen and pitching looked just okay, and the offense fell cold. But I believe in this team. I do think they're a piece or two away from really breaking out, but the White Sox have a lot to be confident in. Number three, the Tampa Bay Rays. Why? Well, they're back to number one in the division. After a slow start, they've overcame the Yankees and the Red Sox to take top dog in the AL East. They're forming a great team. 
even by losing Snell and trading away some pieces, this team has still remained really, really good. Number two, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Well, their starting pitching pitching is just tremendous. It is carrying them uh, because they have to win without some of their stars on the injured reserve. So their pitching is taking on the bulk of a load, and they are winning. And you, when you win without players, you know such as Cody Bellinger or Corey Seager, that means a lot because it shows how dominant their pitching can be, and they can pitch long innings as well into multiple games. But the number one team is the San Diego Padres right now looking unbeatable, playing great team baseball. Fernando Tatis is back and fully activated, looking to me like the NL MVP. That COVID stint has not derailed him or his team at all. They've come back. Eric Hosmer, uh, Will Myers, uh, Cronenworth have played tremendous. Same with Manny Machado. You Darvish, Blake Snell are also playing really good. So this team is just well-balanced. They're extremely fast and play really hard down there with a chip on their shoulder, especially against the Dodgers. That's why they're the best team in baseball right now. So that's my top five. The San Francisco Giants, the Chicago White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the San Diego Padres. And tonight's headline MLB game that I see is the San Francisco Giants going against the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's my number five team against my number two team. And what should be a great game, the Dodgers just coming off an emotional series against the Astros, where they look great. They were, fans were giving it to the Astros. Uh, so tonight, will it be a letdown with the Giants coming to town and the battle for second place in the division? Great pitching matchup. And Desclafani against Bueller. Uh, what will happen there? But to me, this is a great game. Uh, great divisional matchup for the Giants and the Dodgers. And then my final get your go take is, is the NBA fans, are they out of control? To me, they are looking like they are, and I think you can make the case uh, for NBA compared to MLB or the NFL because you are so much more closer uh, with fans in the stands and the other sports you're some of them are, are right there on the court court side, uh, whereas the other fans in other stadiums are not. So you have fans in the garden spitting on Trey Young. In the Sixers game, a fan dumping popcorn on Russell Westbrook as he walked under the tunnel after his injury. And then in the Utah Jazz game, John Morant... Uh, getting hurled racial slurs at him and his family, uh, which is not a good look for fans at all. The fans, including myself, want to go to games uh, 
you were locked down for a year, weren't able to go to any games, and then you come out and do that, that is not a good look. Teams and players have invited fans to come back. Uh, so treat the players with some respect. You pay to see them, uh, see them play. Uh, they come out and perform well, or the most of them do to the best of their ability. Uh, no need uh, to go too much with the trash talking, dump popcorn and spit. Not a good look at all uh, for the fans, especially in the NBA. Uh, so yes, something has been needs to be done about that. So all of them getting banned for life and not returning. Uh, to me, is very reasonable, is nothing out of uh, proportion at all uh, in terms of course correcting uh, these things. So there you have it. More NBA playoffs this weekend. NHL, other great action in baseball as well to watch. Everybody enjoy the holiday weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye, everybody.